0: respect
1: going to open our Bibles to John chapter number 15, John chapter number 15, <clears throat> continuing our series on, I feel like that's a little hot tonight, does everybody, anybody else feel that way? Microphone might be a little loud, no? Okay, <laughs> so, okay. Um, John chapter 15, but we're continuing our series on walking with God throughout the year. And the topic for tonight is going to be abiding in Christ, John chapter number 15. I've got these sticks here for a reason. Hopefully they won't be distracting, but I don't want to walk back over there to get them. Okay, so let's go ahead and start reading in verse number one. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, even so I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We're going to stop in verse number 12 there, but to be honest, this is one little tiny section of an entire speech that Jesus gives. But I've been wanting to get into grafting for a while. I don't know if you know what grafting is. But uh, grafting is basically where you can take one, plant, one piece of a plant that is struggling, it is, it is hurting, and you can cut it off, and you can graft it into another healthy plant to help it to grow. Now, a few years ago, we had our big ice storm, okay? And in my, in my backyard, I've got a few fruit trees. They were there before we moved into the house. We've got a big Granny Smith apple tree, and that one constantly is producing apples, and it's uh, I have to trim it back because it's falling over the fence and all that kind of stuff, okay? It's a good, healthy tree. Then I have a plum tree, and we have a mulberry bush in the backyard, all in one section. But during that ice storm, the plum tree took a hitting, okay? it's every There's a little bit of growth that comes back on it every single year, but for the most part, the tree is dead, okay? So, so I've been wanting to take a piece of the plum tree and to graft it in to the apple tree. My understanding is if they're both fruit trees, I can do this. I haven't tried it yet. We'll see, okay? If it dies, Mr. Tillman, I don't know if you know or not, but if it dies, it dies. We'll see, Okay, so... Okay, sounds about like my wife. Okay, okay. anyway, sorry. So, No, my, my wife had one successful experiment with growing things, and then somebody stepped on it. So, okay. so that got rid of that. But uh, something bad always happens in our house when we're trying to grow something. So leave nature to it. Okay, so, but that, that's kind of my plan. So I purchased a grafting kit. I've got the tools here with me tonight. I want to use this as kind of an illustration for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, but really, I've got I've got two sticks. To be honest, I can't do real grafting because everything's dead right now. Anyways, these are both from the same tree. They're both from a weird variation of a willow tree. That's what the phone tells me it is. Okay, but it but it looks crazy. Okay, so, but on the one hand, this is this is going to be us. Okay, this is us it, before we were saved. This one over here, we're going to say represents Jesus Christ. Notice it's clean and nice and shiny and. Everything, okay, so that's that's Jesus Christ. But at, at the moment of salvation, as a believer, we being part of the dead tree are cut out of that dead tree. Okay? And we are grafted into Jesus Christ. In fact, with this tool here, it depends on which way I go with it. We'll see if I get the right way here. You can take it and it'll make certain shapes. And that did the right thing. I'll pick up those pieces in a second. But basically, um, you cut on one end; and it makes a point. On the other side, if you flip it around, it'll make a little fork. And then we stick the two pieces inside of each other like that. I also have a knife where I can do this manually. But when we became a Christian, we be, we were grafted into Christ. Okay, we are cut out of a dead tree, a, a, the tree that caused us to not bring forth fruit, and we are grafted into. Jesus Christ. And this type of terminology is used throughout this text. In a second here, I'm going to attach these. We'll, we'll get to that, okay? <clears throat> but now in order to graft one branch from one tree into another tree, cuts have to be made, right? Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions, okay? And the good healthy vine is cut so that the dead branch can be grafted into it. But also, the dead branch has to be cut as well. Romans 6 talks about how we died to the law and we died to sin. We were buried with Christ in his baptism and raised in the, in the newness of life. But the two branches have to be cut. There has to be a wounding going on in, in that process. But as the two branches remain grafted into each other, this, this branch is grafted into a living tree. It draws its strength and it draws its lifeblood from the living vine that it is grafted into so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and wrap these and then I want a kid to come up here this is gonna be a interactive sermon tonight actually can I get a volunteer to come up and hold these okay I'm gonna go with Jonas okay Jonas I want you to hold these two sticks together like that so that they don't put put your hand over here so that I can get in there still and one hand over here okay and I'm gonna wrap these Cause if you don't wrap it what's going to happen jonas it's going to come apart i got to do a Oop, oh, that didn't help <laughs> okay i got to do a pretty good tight <laughs> didn't hold it enough okay push push them in together there you go okay this is not like tape this is like saran wrap okay so <laughs> so it is not working the greatest but This is my first try, okay, guys? You guys are helping me learn how to graft dead branches. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Keep on going here until we get it a little bit firmer. Okay, we'll go ahead and wrap that up. There we go. Thank you, Jonas. Okay. So in order for them to be put together, and this is a horrible job, (laughs) so (laughs) they have to be attached, and they came apart. Okay, (laughs) so... (laughs) Hopefully this won't happen when I do the real thing. Okay? So <laughs> uh, anyways, okay. But they are wrapped together and, the, and the, the dead branch draws its strength from the living branch. Um, and th- there's a part of this truth that's not in our text here. But when you graft something together, the only thing holding it together right now is the tape. It's kind of a weak grafting. It's a weak, weak connection there. Um, and so the vine dresser has to come along and he has to prune the branch that's been grafted in. In fact, they do not allow the new branch to grow fruit for three years because the branch will break. It can't handle the fruit at that time. So the vine dresser comes and he prunes prunes the fruit off of it so that the connection can be solidified. And in our our parable here, God is, it's not really a parable, but in our illustration here, God is the vine dresser and he nurtures and takes care of our spiritual growth. periodically the vine dresser has to prune the fruit and even even a good branch has to have fruit pruned from it so that it can bear more fruit or things pruned from it so that you can control the growth so it can be as fruitful as it possibly can but as i said in the beginning all christians are in christ that's the foundational truth behind this entire passage when you became a christian you were baptized into jesus christ But in this text, Jesus is calling us not just to be in him, but he wants us to abide in him. The branch is not going to bear fruit much if it has a broken relationship with the vine. And the amount of fruit that we produce is dependent on being firmly connected to the vine and drawing strength from it. Sometimes the vines can get diseased, and that causes problems. Sometimes they can... Lose, they can start to get broken and they get sickly, right? But this illustration is Jesus is using to teach about our lives. In verse number one, it says that he is the true vine. Okay? Verse number five, Jesus says again that he is the vine and we are the branches, the branches that are grafted in. For the Christian, Jesus desires, this is is one of the central truths here, Jesus desires more from your life than merely your salvation, than merely you just being in Christ. He wants a thriving, abiding relationship with each and every single one of us, an abiding relationship with you that radically transforms your life and causes you to thrive spiritually. That is the type of relationship that he wants. So as we look at this text, we're going to divide it up into a few questions. This will, it's a textual message, but it's also going to have a little bit of a topical element to it. But I want to ask the first question. What is abiding in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? First, The first thing we got to do is we got to define what does this word abide mean. The word abide literally means to remain. Okay, That's, that's its idea. It's the idea of finding yourself at home in something. You are remaining there. But the root meaning of the phrase deals with having the kind of relationship with Christ that you are completely at home with Jesus Christ. At some level, all all true believers do abide in Christ because we are grafted in. We have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And the evidence of being a believer is bearing fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. There is evidence in our life that we are truly believers. But when we come to this passage, abiding in Christ doesn't just speak about that moment that we became a Christian. Uh, As I was studying through this text, I did read some commentaries, read John MacArthur's commentary, and I I like John MacArthur's comments on a lot of things. And I believe what he said about this text is true, but I think it misses the point here. Because a lot of people, when they come to this text, they look at it, especially if if they're like John MacArthur, they look at it as an indicative statement. This is describing who we are in Christ. This is describing all true believers. And there is elements of that, and that is true. But I feel like he misses the central thrust of the text here in the the passage. In fact, if you look at those words, abide in me, okay? Is that a statement or is it a command? It's a command, okay? Who is this command given to? Us, us. Specifically, let's go a little bit more detail. Believers, disciples, right? The disciples are, are meeting with Jesus. He's having this last talk with them before he's crucified. And he gives them this, this this command, abide in me. If it's a command, it's not just merely a description of a reality of their lives. Okay? That's that's what I'm trying to get at. So first of all, it is, it is a command here that they are to abide. Also, I think that this, this is something extra over just your salvation because not all Christians experience the fullness of, of fruit in their lives. How many Christians have you met that if there's fruit in their life, it's very hard to find, and yet they have a, they have a salvation testimony? Maybe at one time they had fruit, but now they don't, right? There's a lot more involved to this than that. There must, and I think there's something more to abiding in Christ other than merely just being saved. Also, if abiding in Christ were merely about salvation— you've got another theological problem because you have conditional salvation, right? Because there's responsibility on the person to, to abide here in this text that Jesus is putting on, putting on them. Being in Christ would depend on our obedience to his command to abide. And Jesus wants us to have a thriving relationship that, that bears more fruit. But I think salvation begins that relationship. We are grafted in at the moment of salvation— but an abiding relationship is necessary if we are going to bear fruit in our lives. Jesus says in verse number one, I am the true vine. And I'm going to latch in, in on that phrase, true, there. Because there are a lot of counterfeit vines that you could be attached to, right? You can attach yourselves to all kinds of things. Some tr- people try to produce fruit in their lives by pulling up their bootstraps and just trying a little bit harder. Turning over a new leaf making new year's resolutions how many of us have tried those any of you still holding to your new year's resolution so far we've got one okay so <laughs> most of us are not too successful at this and there is there is a reason behind that because when you make a new year's resolution you aren't changing a way of thinking you're just trying to change behavior so we oftentimes fail but there are a lot of things that we try to do self-effort pick up our bootstraps work harder but self-effort cannot produce truly God-glorifying, lasting fruit in your life. Some people seek after religious performance. If I just do these things, then I will be able to, ha- to, ab- to produce fruit in my life. If I can do the right things religiously, if I go soul winning, if I um, read my Bible every day and pray every day alone by itself, just doing these things, I will accomplish fruit in my life. But religious performance is basically like trying to attach two dead sticks together. It doesn't, doesn't really work. It's just the outward form of life. Some people look to programs. How many churches, their, their model for success is to have a rock band in, smoke, and flashing lights, and bouncy houses in the children's room. Okay? You know how many kids we could get on Wednesday night if we just had constant fun all the time on Wednesday, no Bible teaching? Probably a lot. Kids love fun, but they don't love Bible teaching as much, right? <laughs> so, but that's a program. It's a system. And people depend on that to bring forth fruit. And, the, and many, many, many churches have followed that route to try to be successful. And it is a cop-out from, the, from real success. It is not biblical success. It is not biblical fruit. But the programs are just a shortcut. Some try to look to secular psychology to produce fruit in their lives. I've got to go to this counselor and get this advice because I've got this problem in my life, and I won't be able to fix it without this person to tell me their psychological theory. But it's a a counterfeit vine. It's not Jesus Christ again. They're going to something else. Jesus Christ is the true vine, and only the power of Jesus Christ living and flowing through our veins can produce fruit in our life. So when we talk about abiding in Christ, I have to ask, what is it? Okay, that's, that's the question. What is it? Um, first of all, we're looking at verse number four. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. So the first thing that abiding in Christ is, and I'm going to give you four things that it is and a few things it's not. First thing is an unbroken communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants more from you than just merely salvation. He wants a deeper relationship with you than you have had so far he wants a continual unbroken fellowship with each and every one of us isn't nice to have a friend who you can pick up the phone and you can call and you haven't ever talked to them for years and years and years it's nice it's better to have a friend that you can call every single day and you talked all the time with and you've kept up that relationship though right (laughs) so your communication never stopped jesus he'll be there when you turn to him and you and you Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you, even if it's been 10, 15 years since the last time you did that. But isn't it better to have a relationship day by day by day by day where you continued that relationship? Jesus longs for the type of relationship with his people that is abiding. It is a remaining relationship with his people. Secondly, abiding in Christ is an intimate and and personal relationship. It says abide, and then the next two words, what are those? Anybody? In me. Abide in me. Okay, that shows that Jesus intends this relationship to be intimate, personal with him. Your relationship with Jesus Christ should be the closest relationship that you have. And I know some of us, we really love our wives, we really love our husbands, we really love our kids. But there is a relationship that ought to be closer than even those relationships. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? In fact, what did Jesus say? If you do not hate brother or sister or mother or father and, and, and pursue after him, then you're not worthy of him, right? Jesus wants us to prioritize our relationship with him. Our life flows out of that relationship, right? Everything that we need in life flows out of that relationship. So how close is your relationship with Jesus Christ? When all else goes wrong, this is, this is one way to find out. When all else goes wrong, who is it that you turn to? Who is the person that you call that you pick up the phone and reach out to? Is it Jesus Christ or is it somebody else, right? <clears throat> Can he be the one that you lean on? Or is your first uh, impulse to call your mother? And I know, ladies, your first few years of marriage, this is probably your biggest struggle in marriage: is I need to call my mom to bail me out from my mean old husband, okay? <laughs> so, you know. <clears throat> but Jesus needs to be closer to you than even your mother. So thirdly, abiding in Christ is a surrender to his will. If you look down at verse number 10, verse number 10, Jesus continues and he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So in some way there is a relationship between abiding in Christ and surrendering to his will, my life. I am obedient to his commandments. I want to do what Jesus Christ tells me to do. So an aspect of this abiding relationship is an obedience to Jesus Christ's command. This is not so much as it about the obedience as it is the surrender to his will. The branch is grafted into the vine, and it does not determine what it's going to do, which way it's going to grow. The plant the, it draws its strength from the vine. It allows the life of the vine to flow through it and determine what it's going to do. It is submitted to the hand of the vine dresser as well. So the vine dresser comes and he prunes the branch. Could you imagine a, a, a branch coming along and saying, why are you picking the apples off of me? Right? Why are you taking this away from me? But that's how we are sometimes. God prunes us. And we say, why, why are you taking these, these apples off of, off of my life? Because pruning isn't easy. Pruning sometimes hurts. But the vine dresser is the one who determines how much fruit is going to grow. Uh, I know with soul winning, sometimes it's discouraging when you go out day after day and you're trying to witness to people and nobody gets saved, right? But ultimately, the fruit is not my responsibility. The fruit is the responsibility of the vine dresser and the vine to produce in me. Verse 2 indicates that the branch that brings forth fruit is pruned. And that pruning process involves pain and suffering. You have to cut some fruit, and growth's off, so the plant can focus on producing greater fruit. When you go through suffering, do you see the hand of God in preparing you for greater fruit? In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 4, uh, I read it this morning, says, "'Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulations.'" So God comforts us in our trials. That's what we talked about this morning. But Why? He goes on and says that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes it's hard to accept the pruning that God brings into our lives. And no no one likes to suffer. No one likes pain. But do we resist, complain, gripe, get bitter, or do we submit to the pruning hand of God? Abiding in Christ is a submission to the will of God. It is also, fourthly, a dependence on him for strength. In uh, verse number number four, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. And later on in verse number five, he says, For without me ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Without me ye can do nothing. So abiding in Christ is about a continual, intimate, submissive relationship with Jesus Christ, but fourthly, it is about a dependent relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus concludes that without me, you can do nothing. The branch that I cut off of this tree, okay, this branch cannot produce fruit if it is not connected to that tree and to that, to the roots of that tree. It is, it is ineffective in itself. The, what, what am I going to do with this thing now? right? Give it to Luke, he can throw it in his fire, okay? So that's, that's all that this is good for, because it is cut off from the vine. The vine provides sustenance for the, for the branch, so that the branch can produce the fruit. But so much of Christianity, as I talked about last week, is, is consumed with doing, doing, and doing. But strength, the life, comes from Jesus Christ, we cannot do without abiding in the vine. We must depend on him if we are ever going to accomplish anything of spiritual value, of fruit in our lives. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I cannot, and, and we'll, we'll cover this in more detail, but I cannot save a single soul by myself, Right? I cannot even make myself more holy by myself. I can't make myself more loving. I can't make myself more kind. I can't make myself more patient. I can't make myself go out and go, go witnessing effectively without the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. My sufficiency is of God. So an abiding relationship with him, it's unbroken communion. It is intimate and personal it is a surrender to his will, and it is dependence on him to give me the strength that I need to bear fruit. So let's ask the second question what abiding in Christ is not? Because I feel like when people come to this text, there's a lot of misunderstandings, and it's uh, kind of like driving down a country road. When I was first learning to drive, we lived out 30 minutes out towards El Reno in the middle of nowhere closest building was the lucky star casino okay so but it's the middle of nowhere dirt roads and 10 foot ditches at times it feels like on both sides of the road okay if you're not careful and it's gravel roads too there, are, there aren't very many paved roads out there but you're driving along and I remember this my dad had just I think he had just kidney to uh to Mr. Hits, and I was taking him out driving and he was still healing and I almost drove into one of those 10-foot ditches, okay? But if you're not careful, you're going to go off to the right or you're going to go off to the left into a ditch when it comes to this topic. And so you got to slow down. you got to make sure you understand this. But when it comes to the topic of abiding in Christ, I think a lot of churches have gone off into ditches. And I don't want to major on this point because it's not, nece- it's not necessarily the most important part here. But it is important we understand where to avoid, okay? The first thing abiding in Christ is not is sinless perfection. Okay? Some people have taken this. One ditch that they fall into is the belief that if we abide in Christ, we will experience the second blessing of God's grace, and we will be made perfect without sin. There are churches that believe that. There are independent Baptist churches that would fall into this category without even knowing it, okay? because this, the influence of this movement is pretty strong. But this truth is a denial of, Pastor Carsey's taught on this in Sunday school, um, way back at the beginning of 1 John, but he also hit on it today. 1 John 1, verse 8 says, If we ha- say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If I deny that I have a sin nature, that's the point of that passage right there. I, if I deny that I have a sin nature, I am deceived. Even, and this is, this is who's he talking to? If we deny, he's talking to believers. If we as believers deny that we have a sin nature, we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1 verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And this past, that verse is more about the individual actual sins that we commit. If I say I've not sinned, then I am also making him a liar and I have deceived myself. Okay? A Christian will deal with the presence of sin in his life until the day in which we see Jesus Christ face to face. It is in that moment that we will be changed into his image because we will see him as he is. We can have victory. We can even have periods of victory in our lives, and that's what we should be striving for. But those who lean towards sinless perfection do not have an adequate understanding of sin. This has been my firmest conviction about this issue. There are so many people who think that they are sinlessly perfect, but it's because they don't understand what sin actually is. To them, sin is merely the things that you do. It's stealing or lying or blowing up in anger at somebody. But there are other types of sins that plague many of us. Sins like selfishness, right? How many of us get up every single morning and our first thoughts are about what we want to do with our life and what we're, what's going to make us happy? Selfishness. What about pride? How prevalent is pride in our lives? Sin is not merely the things you do. There are attitudes that are sin as well. When I teach children about sin, I give them this simple definition of sin. Sin is anything I think, say, or do that displeases God. Okay, covers pretty much the full gambit of things right there. They don't don't acknowledge worry and anxiety. Right? If we're told, be anxious for nothing, be, be careful for nothing, Right? We're told not to do that. So if we are anxious and we are worrying, what is it? Sin, right? Sin to them is only an external thing, but an honest Christian knows that there is a constant struggle with internal sin in their lives. But God, thank God, he progressively is changing us into his image throughout our lives. So it is also, abiding in Christ is also not complete passivity. And this is one I struggled with as a kid. I would pray and pray earnestly and eagerly, Lord, remove the sin from my life. Okay, And that was my prayer, and that's all it did. Okay, so <laughs> it accomplished nothing because I wasn't willing to get up the next morning and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to actually overcome the sin in my life. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are to exercise ourselves toward godliness, right? There is a human element to this process of change in our lives, So abiding in Christ is not completely passive where I sit back and say, God, you just got to do it all. Let go and let God is the cliche that was used. It is not complete passivity. Rather, I love this illustration by Andrew Murray, and Andrew Murray was kind of in that middle ground there. He leaned a little bit towards the sinless perfection more than I like. uh, But I love this illustration here. He said in his book, um, describing this, uh, this dependence on Christ, he said this. Think of a father helping his child to climb the sides of a steep precipice. The father stands above and has taken the son by the hand to help him on. He points him to the spot that he will help him to plant his feet as he leaps upward. The leap would be too high and dangerous for the child alone. And I've done this. I've taken my kids to, uh, where was it, Devil's Canyon? No, where, where was it? Robber's cave area, robber's cave area, okay. We go hiking, that's, that's one of our, our hobbies is going hiking. But we've taken the kids and there's been times when it's just, they can't make that boulder right there. It's too big for them to do it. If they were to try, they would fall and they would hurt themselves, right? So the leap would be too high and dangerous for the child alone, but the father's hand is his trust and he leaps to get a hold of the point for which his father has taken a hold of him. It is the father's strength that secures him. It is the father's strength that lifts him up and so urges him to use his utmost strength. So here, here's the illustration, right? The child cannot make the jump on its own. Just like I cannot become more holy on my own. It's impossible. It cannot happen. He cannot ju- make the jump on, on his own. He is not strong enough, but the father tells him where to go. Bible tells us what we should be, right? It tells us to be holy, but it's something we can't do on our own. The child trusting his father to help him get there and, believe, and obeying where he has told him to go, and he believes that his father is going to help him, but the child still has to do something. What does he have to do? He has to do the jumping, right? He jumps with all of his might, but his dad helps him to get to the point. And there is no victory over sin if you sit back and do nothing to conquer your sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit only comes on a person's life when they step out in faith and obedience to obey his leading in their life. It is also not something that you do. Abiding is not something that you do because you can turn anything into legalism. Abiding is, the, is, the, not the, is on the flip side, not something you do. It is, it, yeah, sorry. <laughs> if I can just perform these certain activities, I'll prove I'm abiding in Christ, right? If I get up and pray and read my Bible, That doesn't necessarily mean you're abiding in Christ. It is necessary, but it is not necessarily true that you are abiding. You can abide while you're reading and praying, and in fact, it's an essential part to our relationship with Jesus Christ, as we'll see in a bit. But you can read and pray without a single thought of intimacy, without a single thought of submission, and without a single thought of dependence on Jesus Christ. So the next thing we're going to look at is what abiding produces in our lives be said to answer this question but i'm going to limit myself to the text here today okay the simple answer boiled down is this abiding in christ produces fruit right abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me so abiding in christ produces fruit so an abiding christian is a fruitful christian but what is fruit The word fruit is used in many ways in the Bible. But fruit is merely, if you want to boil it down, it's just whatever's produced from abiding in Christ. It's anything and everything that abiding in Christ produces in our life. But our text gives us five fruits. The first one is found in verse number 7. It says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So what's the first fruit of abiding in Christ? Answered prayer, right? You shall ask what you will. The assumption here is that this person is submitted to the will of God, right? All those qualifications for having your prayers answered that we could do an in-depth study of throughout the entire New Testament, they all fall into this category, and they're assumed because this person is abiding in Christ. This person is submitted to God's will. He wants God's will. He's living with a clean conscience by confessing of a sin and repenting of a sin. All those other prerequisites are answered by abiding in Christ. So the abiding Christian, he sees answered prayer. The second thing that it produces is found in verse number 9. It says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This is a theme that that is throughout this text, the previous chapter, and the rest of the chapter in 14 and 15 here. Love is a central topic. And abiding in Christ is very much parallel to walking in the Spirit. And what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love, right? Abiding in Christ makes us more loving. Jesus loved his enemies, the world, and he loved us. So as we abide in him, that love is going to work its way into our lives. And if we fail to love others, there's something wrong with the connection to the vine. That's, that's the point here. Third thing it produces is obedience. We already talked about this in earlier. If ye keep my commandments. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, the previous chapter, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Right? So obedience naturally flows out of love, which naturally flows out of abiding. Okay? Abiding in Christ, being submitted to his will and dependent on him is going to produce obedience. There is no such thing as a godly Christian who, and here's the key word refuses to obey the commands of God it doesn't happen it's you're not a godly Christian if that's you if you're refusing to obey the commands of God you're not abiding in Christ there are there are times that we fail through our weaknesses but that's not the same thing as high-handed rebellion and refusing to refuse refusal to obey the will of God next thing that it produces the next fruit is found is found in verse number 11 and that is joy These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Abiding in Christ should produce joy in the believer. Jesus is what truly satisfies, and when we have the kind of relationship that brings that greatest satisfaction through a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to produce joy. We're going to find meaning and purpose and an enjoying relationship with him in our life. And I think oftentimes what brings sadness to many of our lives as Christians is unresolved sin. What does unresolved sin manifest or show us? That we're not abiding in Christ the way that we ought to. Sin cuts us off from that abiding relationship. The believer can experience joy knowing that his sins are under the blood and he is living with a clean conscience towards God. The the abiding believer knows 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he can have joy in his life. But also, abiding in Christ produces service towards others. Verse number 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Love finds its truest expression in serving other people. So the final fruit of abiding in Christ is love that serves one another and lays down its life for other people. True godly love shows itself by giving of itself for other people. Now inevitably when we talk about topics like abiding in Christ, there's a lot of information about what it is. And that's what I gave you tonight. What is it to abide in Christ? What is it not? But often I think we fail to tell people how. And how is essential right? Isn't it essential to know how if I tell uh, Daniel, I need you to go and to replace the head gasket on my car, but he's never done it before in his life, okay? Is Daniel going to be too successful? I've told him the what. I've told him what to do, but there's a problem. He has no clue how, <laughs> right? And I've, trust me, I've had this situation in my life before, okay? Fast food restaurants, they do this a lot because they don't want to spend the time to tell you wh- how to do something. They just say, go do it, they, they call it throwing you to into the fire, okay? So, and there are some circumstances where maybe that can work, right? But we need to know the how. So, if I were to boil this down, I'm going to boil it down to two things, okay? The first thing is if abiding in Christ is that submissive, dependence, dependent attitude of trust in Jesus Christ, then we need to nurture that kind of a relationship with him. A submissive, dependent, faith-filled life with Jesus, but the second part of that is to passionately pursue a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ through his word and through prayer. And I don't mean just pick it up and read it every morning because you've got to. Jesus says in verse number seven, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. I believe that Jesus Christ's words abiding in us are, are an essential piece of us abiding in Jesus Christ. This is not a casual relationship with the word of God. This is an intimate relationship as you seek God in his word. You read, yes, but you meditate, you memorize, you study, you share the word of God, you delight in the word of God. Just go pick up the book of Psalms and look at how many many attitudes we're supposed to have and interactions we're supposed to have with God's word. But the further it gets into your heart, the greater your abiding relationship with Jesus Christ will be. It's possible for an abiding, for a believer to have an abiding, long-lasting, fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus Christ. And God wants more out of our relationship. So my question tonight is this. Do you? Let's all stand, head bowed, eyes closed. first few messages are really foundational for a lot of what we're going to be talking about the rest of the year. Important foundation because if you get things out of order you end up with a legalistic mindset of Christianity. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important part of our faith. It's the most important part of who we are as Christians and what we do. So it has to be the foundation that we lay. Are you abiding in Christ today?